Let's pray. Hey God, uh, we just sang that song and uh, it, it's, a, it's a strong statement. It's a, it's a huge commitment. It, it's something that um, in my life with you, I've wrestled with uh, most days, if not all, uh, this, this complete and utter releasing of self and relinquishing of rights and just giving you everything that we are. That's, that's the prayer of my heart. It's, it's my prayer for us in our lives and for our church that we would uh, get past the things that would hold us back in life with you and, and just submit, just surrender everything, nothing less. So teach us that this morning uh, as we go feed the bay, but teach us that every day as we uh, learn to sacrifice in life with uh, with you and, and to humble ourselves in your sight so that you can lift us up. Uh, take us to your word now. Teach us. Use this offering that we're going to give now for your glory. Um, everything and nothing less, Lord. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's great to have you here. Turn and say hi to someone. Tell them it's great to have them here. Who remembers learning the song, The Hokey Pokey? Anybody remember that one? I don't know when I first learned it, but I remember singing it. It was like the number one hit in kindergarten. We just sang it like every day. I don't know why. But how's it start? Put your right hand in. Take your, put your, and then what do you do? And then what do you do? Yeah, right? It was a blast when we were kids. If you haven't taught your kids that one, it's a great way to teach them right hand, left hand, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was thinking about that this week and the thing that we're going to talk about, and it, it, it reminded me of a lot of uh, what Christianity can be for those who follow Jesus. It, it's just kind of right hand in, but we'll keep the left hand out. It's the right foot in, but we'll keep the left foot out. It's, it's partial me. It's a part-time gig. I'll do it on Sundays or when I can make it to church. I'll do it when it's convenient, but it's not this all-in-existence that Christianity is meant to be. There's too many uh, toe-in-the-water Christians kind of just testing out some things. And let me, let me, you know, let me uh, you know, take some of the pressure off you. You've you got to grow and progress in your life with Christ. Everybody matures at different uh, speeds and rates. But certainly, we don't want to give anybody the impression uh, that you know, a little is enough when it comes to following Jesus. And when it comes to your life, uh, you can do this. I've talked about this a ton up here. Everybody ever... You've seen me do this, right? Because here's what we love to do with Jesus. We love to say, here, you can have this. And we usually give them the stuff that's easy. You know, the things that we're great at. Who, who remembers getting your report card in school? And you'd come home, and sure, there might be some lower scores, lower grades, but you'd love to emphasize the things that you were great at. Like mine was gym. I aced gym every time I took it. I nailed it. And, uh, you know, if there was other lower scores on the, I'd always want to accentuate my positives. Look at Jim, though. Jim is great. And that's what we like to do with Jesus. Hey, here's Jim. Here's the stuff that's easy for me. Here's the stuff that's no problem at all to give to you. It's my excess. It's the stuff that even comes natural to me. Some of you are naturally gracious and merciful and, 
and, and uh, naturally generous, and, or supernaturally if you want to call it that, but, but there's things that are easy for you in the Christ life, and then there's parts that aren't. There's areas of, of, of sin that early on in your Christ life you had victory over, and then there's those areas that you still haven't quite submitted to God. And that's the stuff back here. So here we go, toe in the water, weight up to our knees, kind of left foot in, but left hand out, right? And, and, and what Jesus wants, what I'll preach to you until I'm done, or you're done, or we're done, is that Jesus wants it all. He wants it all. That's how the song ends, right? Remember? Uh, you get done putting your right hand, right foot, left hand, left foot. Then you put your whole self in, right? And that's where the song should end if you're a Christian. Because you never take your whole self out. You don't do the hokey pokey. You don't turn yourself about. You just put your whole self in. Someone asked me uh, uh, either this year or in a year past, Why, we're doing Feed the Bay again. Feed the Bay again. That's how they said it. We're doing Feed the Bay again. Like it was going to Disney for the you know, 10th time or something like that. Like this was supposed to entertain us or something. Uh, yeah, we're doing Feed the Bay again. Are you kidding me? Of course we're doing Feed the Bay again. The Christ life, if you ever, if you ever read the Bible, the, the Christ life, it's, it's spoken of in superlatives and ultimates. Pray without ceasing. You, you, just, you, you just do it. You spike it and you keep doing it for the rest of time. You, you don't grow tired in doing good. It's just who we are. So yeah, we're gonna feed the bay again. Are you kidding me? If I mean, yeah. So so it's so great when God uh, sets up days like today, uh, in the text that uh, we're planning to preach, and the stories totally match up. I love it when He does that. Uh, I'm not that smart, not that uh, gifted as a speaker, but today we're gonna talk about a lady who goes all in, and, and we're gonna learn three things from this lady today. And I'm gonna try to preach them fast so you can go feed the bay. So uh, let's start in Mark chapter 14. Here we go. It was now two days before the Passover. If you've been here for this series, we started three weeks ago on Sunday, Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in, big parade, big fuss, quite a to-do. On Monday, he comes back into town and he wrecks the temple. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is Jesus just trashing the temple. Wish I had the video. That would have been awesome. On Tuesday, he spends uh, most of his day in 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 Jerusalem, probably in the temple courts, just answering questions. Lots of people came up trying to trick him. Some people had legitimate questions, but he just answers question after question. We talked last week about how Jesus is still here to answer your questions, no matter what they are. Ask them, and he wants to help you through life. Uh, but today we're going to talk about being all in, because here on the, the Wednesday of the Passion Week, or the best week ever, uh, Jesus is having dinner uh, with some friends, and uh, this lady comes in and shows us what it means to be all in. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you ever read uh, uh, the Bible and you hear about these things, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, th- these are actually like two names for the same thing, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, same deal. The Passover was in a celebration in remembrance of how Jesus, or excuse me, how God in the Old Testament had uh, uh, basically told the children of Israel during the 10 plagues of Egypt when uh, uh, Moses was telling Pharaoh, let my people go, and, uh, and Pharaoh wouldn't let them. Uh, he says, okay, uh, 10 plagues happen, rivers, blood, all it's really cool, read it, it's a great story. Uh, but in the end, uh, a really sad thing happened. Uh, God decided to, uh, to, to, to put, the end, to, put the, to death the, the firstborn of the children of all of those in Egypt. And so the way that the Israelites... Um, would exercise their faith in God and be passed over in this judgment as they would put the, the blood of a lamb that they had sacrificed over the doorpost of their door. 
and that's how their children were spared. It's a great, listen, if I had time, I'd preach how the Passover and Christ and his sacrifice for us are one and in, in the same. They're, they are parallels galore. But I don't have time. I'm going to keep going. But the Passover, that's what it's celebrating. And, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the, the tradition is, is that the, the, the Israelites were in such a hurry to leave when, when Pharaoh finally said go, they didn't even let their bread rise that morning. Uh, uh, so they, they had this, they didn't even bother putting yeast in the dough and they just grabbed whatever, that's what they, did, they would do. In the evening they would cook their loaves and they would have bread for their meals, but that morning they didn't put the leaven in. And so during the whole feast of Passover, uh, no one had, uh, you know, puffy rolls. Uh, everything was matzah. And, uh, and so the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, same deal. Here we go. Uh, the chief priests and the scribes, these were uh, the adversaries of Christ, uh, the ones who ultimately conspired for his death. Uh, they were seeking how to arrest him by stealth uh, and so that they could kill him. Uh, they did this because they said, not, we shouldn't do this during the feast lest there be an uproar for the, from, the, from the people. Um, smart move. Uh, Jerusalem, during the Passover, grew by like two times its size. It's like a football game in a college town, uh, a home game during the fall. Uh, like what was normally a 40,000-person uh, city, Jerusalem was estimated to be about 75,000 people, would would boom, and to 200 and sometimes 300,000 people there in the city over Passover. So uh, things could jump off pretty easy. Uh, this parade was spontaneously, uh, you know, uh, set up and, and performed on that, Monday, or that Sunday that Jesus came into town. He was pretty popular. They didn't want to arrest him in case there would be a riot amongst those that followed him. So they decided to do it at night. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Here comes this lady. We're going to learn three things from her today. Now, the first one about being all in is this, is that going all in means giving all as God leads. Um, sometimes when we love uh, God, we love him with our minds, and we should. And let me say this at the front end. I'm not endorsing stupid living. Everybody hear me say that? But I am saying that, uh, especially in American Western Christianity, uh, a lot of times our minds can get in the way of the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can talk ourselves out of the things that God is calling us to do pretty good, and we, we sometimes miss out on the things that he wants to do to glorify himself through us and through our actions uh, because we're really good at loving him with our minds and not with our hearts. Are you with me? So this lady uh, is going to go and do as God leads her to do, and it's going to end up being uh, pretty much all that she has that she gives to Jesus. Let's read the verse in verse 3. It says this, and while he was at Bethany, Jesus was staying outside Jerusalem during this Passion Week, this best week ever. Uh, that led up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, he was uh, staying probably with some friends, but on this particular night, someone in town named Simon the leper had asked him to come over to the house. The Bible doesn't really tell us who Simon the leper is, except that he's a leper, right? Uh, and so a couple of options here. We can either think that Simon is a current leper, which kind of makes it weird that he would have Jesus over his house because he had Jesus over his house. He couldn't be there. If you were a leprous in that uh, c culture, you were put outside the city gates because your disease would be caught by others and you were ostracized. So here's option B, and the one I like, is that Simon is a former leper. He was known to be a leper, but guess what? He was cured. I wonder how that happened. Maybe he met this guy, Jesus, that has uh, now come over to his house for dinner. I think it's a thank you meal. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for uh, letting me come back to my home. Let me show it to you and feed you some food. Uh, he's Simon the leper, and he has a... Uh, Jesus over, and they're reclining at the table. When you would sit down for dinner back then, you didn't have chairs like we do. You would just kind of sit on a hip and lean on your shoulder, and you'd eat with your other hand. Uh, so there they are, kind of 
you know, uh, around the table and eating in that fashion. And a woman, it says, come in, comes in, and she's got this alabaster flask, like this little jar uh, of ointment of pure nard, and it was very costly. And she broke the flask, she poured it over his head. All right, there's the stats, there's, the, there's what happened. But let's examine what's really happened here. First of all, a woman comes into a stag party. Here's what would happen back in the Jewish culture. If you had someone over your house as a dude, uh, and it was a male guest, guess where the ladies of your house would go? Like the little kids' table at Thanksgiving? Sorry, ladies, it was a patriarchal society. You were not invited to the dinner. So here comes this woman, uninvited, unannounced. She pops into the room wherever they're having this dinner, and she walks straight up to Jesus. Doesn't say, pardon me, excuse me, Lord. Just walks right in. Not supposed to be there. In fact, culturally, this is a big no-no. She's not named. We don't know who she is. Uh, just, you know, for uh, the, the Bible's sake, let me explain. There's, there's been at least one other time earlier in Jesus' life where another woman in Galilee up north, uh, two or three years prior to this, uh, has actually come in and, and, and poured perfume on his, on his feet and wiped it off with his hair. Okay, she was a woman of the night, a worker. And uh, there's all kinds of things. Jesus forgives her sin. It's a great story. It's in the book of Luke. Chapter 7. Uh, this is kind of a reprisal of that. It might even be the third time that this has happened to Jesus because if you go to John chapter 12, in that story, which is also around the time of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem for his death and resurrection, Jesus is hanging out with his friend Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And at that dinner, Mary uh, does the same thing, pours some perfume on, on Jesus' uh, head and feet and, and wipes it off with her hair. So it's kind of like it became one of the things that women did, uh, maybe the word got around that this is one of the ways you could honor Jesus. So it happened at least twice, maybe three times, and since we don't know the name of this woman, it could be the Mary account, maybe it's separate, but uh, she pours it, unannounced, un- uninvited, pours this, this valuable uh, ointment, this perfume over Jesus' head. Nard is a spice that comes from India. It was very exotic, it was hard to get your hands on, and mooey, mooey expensive oh. That's not Spanish, it's not even good. All right, anyway, um, you'd have to pay a lot of money to this. It was so expensive that it was probably a gift from either a a father or something in case things didn't work out, her husband died or something. She would have, this is like her 401k. This was your backup plan. If you had this, you would have something to live off of because you could sell this expensive heirloom to someone else and, and get some money to be able to support yourself. She takes probably what is her life savings, comes into Jesus, and then this is one of the most uh, telling things. It says she breaks the flask. Okay, anybody ever put something in a container? Anybody? That's <laughs> like, did they all leave? It was, <laughs> they were just here. Uh, do, do you take everything that you put in containers and put it in there with a hypodermic needle? Or do you have like a lid or something that you screw off and, and then you pour it in there? Does anybody do that? Yeah, that's what I do with mine too. And so this perfume got in this jar somehow through an opening that had been made for it maybe corked off or sealed off somehow, but it tells us that this woman skips the lead. I don't know about you, but if, if I'm going to use some of my 401k to bless Jesus, I'm going to dab. Maybe a little behind the ears, you know, save the rest for me. But she doesn't even use the lid. She breaks the jar. That's a whole other sermon. But that's... Uh, that's the all-in nature of this life with Christ. You break the jar. You give it all. She doesn't hold anything back. She breaks the jar, pours the entire contents. 
over the head of her Savior, Jesus. We'll get to this a little bit later in the story, but uh, anytime you anointed someone in Israel, it was a sign. What was it in the sign of? Anybody know? Kingship, yeah. When David uh, was anointed by Samuel, it was a sign of him being the chosen king of Israel. Saul, the same thing. So when these women were, were pouring these perfumes over Jesus, it wasn't because he you know, needed a bath or something like that. They were, they were doing it as a sign that this is my king. This is, and they were saying, this is our Messiah. She gives it all. It's lavish. It's spontaneous. It goes against all the accepted norms of her day. And she does it anyway. I don't know about you, I'm really great. Like I talked about earlier, I'm really great at talking myself out of doing what the Holy Spirit's prompting me to do. Is anybody good at that? It's our flesh. It's just, it's this war that's within us, our old selves and our new selves. The new self is in tune with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you should go do this for someone else, or you should give this for the sake of this, or you should, whatever. And we love to go in that inner, inner speech and, and just argue ourselves into doing what we want over what God wants. You know where it happens most for me? Coming out of the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. Stay with me. If you go to this Chick-fil-A up here on 60, and you get the number one meal because the chicken sandwiches are delicious. No pickles, though. But, uh, and they're Christian. They're closed on Sunday. So, um, <laughs> it's not true. Anyway, uh, you go through Chick-fil-A, uh, and, and, you, and you get your meal, and you're, you're hungry. You're wanting to get to wherever you're going to next, right? But you have to pass by the homeless guy who's staked out by the Home, home Depot parking lot as you're trying to circle through and, and, and get a faster way out of town, right? Are you with me? And so he's standing there, you know, looking hungry. Sign says, God bless, right? So you're immediately reminded, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, there it is. And, you're, and, and for me, it's like, okay, this has happened on, on too many occasions. Mark, give him your lunch. And here's what happens. He doesn't deserve it. In my head, I'm just being honest. Why? Because, you know, if he just worked a little harder, he'd, he'd not have to be sitting here. Maybe you don't think that because you're holier than me, but cool. Uh, here's the other one. I'm hungry. I went through the drive-thru for a reason, Lord. This is the only shot I get before I go to whatever I've got next. I've got to eat this. Not really. I'll be just fine. Is everybody with me on that? <laughs> but I go through all the reasons why it's such a bad idea, and to my shame, to my shame, I've, I've unfortunately at times gotten really good at just saying no. Sometimes I'll, but sometimes I'll say, all right, Lord, and I'll hand them the fries. Because who really wants those anyway? They're crinkly. You don't want those. It's the sandwich. And I'll feel pretty good about going halfway. I can read you all kinds of texts in the Bible uh, that uh, show what God thinks of halfway. Like King Saul, he was told to... Uh, to, to wipe a people that had offended God and the, and the Israelites off the face of the earth. He kept the king as a trophy. And you know what God did to the king for that? He, he removed him from his kingship. How does God feel about halfway? Eh, he's not so great about it. And listen, I don't want to make it pass fail. I want us to move and progress towards this grace that God has given us to be all in. But I do want us to know that God, I think, speaks to us way more than we give him credit for. And he leads us in things way more than we really follow him in. And he wants us to be willing to do something radical, nonsensical, 
outside the norm so that he can be glorified through us. My mom's sitting in the crowd today. She's going to be here for a couple weeks. and She always taught me, Mark, when you're a pastor, just remember, be there for the big days, weddings and funerals, and understand that ministry happens in the cracks. Ministry happens in the cracks. And what she meant by that is that most things that happen in people's lives that are, life that are significant for our Savior are not scheduled. They're not happening on Sunday mornings all the time. They're not happening in life groups when we're scheduled to go to those or when we're a part of this or that thing that we had planned ahead of time. It's just life happens, God speaks, and we have choices in those moments whether we're going to obey or disobey, and our obedience is going to be the the key that unlocks the door in our hearts spiritually and in the lives of people that we're serving. And so we need to be like this woman and be ready. Going all in with Jesus and going all in uh, with God is giving as he, all as he leads. The second thing we're going to read here is that uh, going all in may not be warmly received by others. If you come home today after I get done preaching and you sense in your heart that God wants you to give a, a portion of your money to someone that you know that has needs or, or, or do something that's going to cost you and your family, your spouse may not be crazy about that idea initially. God didn't tell me that. Uh, you... you uh, you may be led to do things that, uh, if you're a student at a high school, uh, kind of make you stick out uh, because it, it's not easy to be a Christian in the schools that uh, our kids go to these days. Uh, you may get persecuted, mocked, ridiculed, berated. But I'd tell you that uh, that's something that you can expect if you go all in with Jesus. We're weird. Hey, Christians, we're weird. Sorry. We just don't fit. Get used to it. Embrace it. Embrace your weirdness. It's cool to be weird. It says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, this is kind of self-speak, it's these men who are sitting at the table, they're like, hey, why did she waste all that perfume like that? They go on and they give us a, an, a, an indication as to what she had actually done. So this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, let's, let's just talk price. Denarii was what you would get for a day's wage working in the fields. So whatever you make per day, multiply it by 300 or more, and you're gonna come up with basically a year's wage. So this wasn't like just you know, a little bit of Dracar Noir, all right? That's an old, yeah, it doesn't matter. This was a lot of money being poured out on the head and beard of a carpenter from Nazareth. And these guys are looking around and they're like, I can't believe she just did that. Do you know how many hungry people we could have fed with that? And it's fitting on this day that we're feeding the bay. You know, uh, uh, that might seem like a better usage of this. Uh, before we uh, pat these guys on the back too much, though, understand that in that culture, most uh, of the religious Jews were not super friendly to the poor. Uh, they would actually only be generous to the poor when everybody else was watching. That was usually these high feast days. And so the Passover was kind of a boom time for generosity. You know, everybody would kind of be at the dinners and festivities. Maybe they were having some fundraisers, silent auctions, I don't know. Uh, but they would, they would do things to raise money for the poor when everybody could see them do so. It's probably what was motivating them. She could have put that in my silent auction. It would have raised a lot of money. I would have looked great. It says that the, they, they finished having these thoughts in their head, and they started scolding her. This is actually a, a Greek word that means snort at. It's like a horse, it's like a barn word. And it's, it's kind of funny, if you ever get like disappointed with somebody, uh, you think they're crazy and do something, what noise do you make? <laughs> right? 
Really? Seriously? You're not, that's crazy. You're not doing that. And that's what they did with her. And they berated her. It got loud. It was hard. Reminds me of the time in the Old Testament with this King David. He was um, uh, rejoicing over the fact that the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, had been returned to Israel. It came into the city gates, and he took off his kingly robes, and he put on an ephod, which was the, the priestly kind of jumpsuit. And, uh, and he got down with the rest of the priests and the servants and everybody else who was rejoicing uh, down below the, you know, the grandstands of the king, and he rejoiced, danced like a fool, like no one was watching. And he came back to his palace after that, and his wife, Michael, uh, was not impressed at all. And she says, a verse that's often misconstrued, she says, you disrobed in front of the servant girls. Some people thought that uh, David danced naked. He didn't dance naked, so don't perpetuate that myth. But he did take off his kingly garb and put on the lesser garb of the priests and the servants of his time. And I don't know if you've ever read the story, but David comes back at Michael and says, Mike, Mikey, here's the deal. I'm going to get more undignified than that. Y'all better get used to it. Uh, if, if the Holy Spirit leads me to dance in the streets with the, with the regular people, that's what's going to happen. Because I'm all about him, and I'm not about my robes. The third thing that we need to learn in this whole going all in thing is that going all in will bring honor to Jesus every time. When it's really from him, when, it, when the Holy Spirit has inspired you to do things or outside the norm that will cost you greatly, that everybody else disagrees with, if it's from him, it will be for him, and it will bring honor to him every time. It's just how it works. How do I know? Because Jesus stands up in this fray and says this, leave her alone. Knock it off. He says this, what's your problem? <laughs> That's our modern vernacular, but... Why are you troubling her? I'm picturing the, the perfume just dripping off of his locks and his beard. He quiets everybody. He's like, hey, you guys don't get it. She has done a what? Kaleo is the Greek word, beautiful. So we get calligraphy and stuff like that. She's done a beautiful thing. Why was it a beautiful thing? A couple reasons. It was selfless, right? It was from love. You ever... Read 1 Corinthians, it says, if I give all that I have to the poor, but I don't have love, I have gained nothing, right? So she did something that she wasn't involved in. It was selfless. It was a huge sacrifice. It came from her utter love. I, I wish I knew the backstory. Maybe she was someone that Jesus had healed. Maybe she was someone whose family had been forever changed because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Whatever it was that inspired her, it, it led her to give all. And Jesus loved it. Verse 8 says this, it says, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Now this, this might seem like Jesus doesn't care about the poor. I can take you to 10 other scriptures that you know, Jesus has quoted as saying the poor matter. One of the chief ones is one of the things that kind of led us to do Feed the Bay, which is, hey, when I was hungry, you gave to me to eat. Like Jesus doesn't say you fed the poor, you fed me. When we go today and we, we fill these food banks, we're, we're doing a, a, a ministry, an act of service to Jesus himself when we feed the hungry. So Jesus cares about the hungry. He's probably just rebuking the, the guys at the table a little bit by saying, you guys, 
You only feed the poor three times a year. That's when the festivals happen. You got, you got poor coming out your ears. It's a broken world. There's always going to be poor people. You can always feed the poor. In fact, I wish you would do it more, but she gets it. At this time in history, things are going to change forever. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to die. And, and she's understood who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the one sent by God. I am God. And she's risen above all the rules. Don't you read that in the Bible over and over again, that people just want to focus on the rules, and they get so focused on the rules that they forget the rule maker? He says, you guys are obsessed with the rules, but you're standing in, presence, in the presence of the one who made them. And you're more fussed out about a bottle of perfume than the Son of God at your house. He goes on and he says this. He says in verse 8, she has done what she could. The Greek actually reads, uh, what she had, she did. I like that better. Because everything that she was, everything that she had, she did. She gave it. She's done what she could. And then, listen, uh, that's all God asks of us. Now, here's what we have. We usually have a different impression of what we can do. We, have, we tend to minimize what we can do because, well, this is what, you know, it's truly possible. I could never do more than this. And, and we go to, you know, our abilities or what we have and we, we limit. But what, what, we, what we're preaching this morning is that everything that we have is at his disposal. And what we have is his. And when he wants it, it should be our pleasure to grant him and to give him what he calls us to give. Because that's what she did, what she had, she gave. She's done what she could. And she's anointed my body beforehand for burial. One more quick Bible lesson before I let you go. Like I said earlier, they were, all the other times that this has happened, people are thinking, king, 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 king. She's, a, she's anointing his head, he's, he's, he's gonna be king, he's the Messiah, and that was fit, uh, fitting for every one of the other instances. But in this one, he flips the script and he says this. He says, hey, y'all, I'm really, like I've been telling you, I'm really going to die. And she's, she's basically uh, getting a head start on anointing my body uh, for my burial. Uh, when, when, when people would die back in those days, in fact, when Jesus dies, the Bible tells us in all four of the Gospels that uh, Nicodemus, one of his friends, that Pharisee that he had a great conversation with that gave us John 3.16, but his friend Nicodemus and another guy, Joseph of Arimathea, they did like, as, as the sun was going down on, 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 on the, the eve of the Sabbath, they did this like quick burial. They, they wrapped him in uh, linen. They put about, John tells us, about 75 pounds of spices uh, on his uh, you know, dead body, and they put him in the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had for his family. Shut it up. Romans put the stone across, and, uh, and, that, and that's how they would preserve the body. If you, were, if you died in Palestine in those days, your body would be uh, viewable for a year after your death, right? Uh, because not everybody could get, it wasn't like, you know, call an Uber, go to the funeral. Not everybody could get there to pay their respects. And so they would have viewings that lasted right up to a year. And then at the end of that year, your body would uh, decompose to the point that you were just bones, and then you were buried, I remember seeing this when I went to Israel, you were buried in basically two shoeboxes, the size of two shoeboxes, and it was, it was the size of the length of your femur, because that was the biggest bone in your body. They'd put everything else in there, and that's what you were buried in, not a coffin um, in a box. And so that's why the anointing of Jesus was such a big deal. That's how you could bear to go into the tombs. 
because the, the body would start to smell. It would d- decay and decompose, and so they just kept trying to, well, that'd be a sweet thing to walk into, right? Our culture has a hard time with smells, but back then, I guess you just got used to it. You just kept slapping on the perfume, trying try to make it bearable, right? And that's why, if you can go to Easter morning with me, the women were walking towards Jesus' tomb, carrying spices and perfumes. Why? So that they could do visitation. They wanted to be able to see the remains of their Savior, and they were coming to make sure that his body was preserved. But they got to the tomb, everybody, and the roll had been, or the rock had been rolled away, and there wasn't a body to put perfume on. Why? Because our Savior wasn't there. So when Jesus says of this woman, she's preparing me for her for my burial. Don't everybody get sad. He's having some fun with this. He's just saying, hey man, if you want to put some perfume on this carcass, you better get it going now. Because when you come back to see me when I'm done, I'm not going to be there. Because I am God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and I will conquer the grave on behalf of those who follow me. And by faith, they will conquer the grave too. So, now... May you and I, knowing that, that our Savior has given his all, and that in giving his all, we have been given life, may you and I recognize that the only reasonable thing for us to do in life is to surrender all. Jesus finishes it up in verse 9. He says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her and I just got done doing that. And how did she make the book? Because she had these really wise sayings. She had to be quoted. No, we never hear a voice. How did she make the book? Well, she was the one that Jesus rose from the grave or healed from leprosy or... No, she wasn't healed of anything that we know of. She was someone who busted up a dinner party, broke a jar and wasted everything she had on the head of a Nazarene carpenter. That's how she made the book. And that's what Jesus called beautiful. Why? Because she embodies for us the life that we're supposed to live in Christ, a life that is all in. Now let's go feed the bay. Let's go feed the bay. Let's uh, stand and we'll be dismissed. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn these truths, to be reminded of the all-in nature of life with you. Forgive us, God, for the things that we hold back. Forgive us, God, for the arguments that we have with you in our spirits and in our minds where we tell you how this should work. Uh, Lead us, God, into utter dependence and complete obedience uh, in life with you. And, And use us, God, not just today in Feed the Bay, but in every phase of our lives, our marriages, our families, at school, at work, use us, God, to make much of you. Even if it makes us look crazy to everybody else, use us, Lord. Use us for your glory's sake, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.